Who's on design? This is Wanda. Hey, Wanda. This is Chuck Marone calling. Hey, how are you? I'm doing great. Happy birthday this week, by oh, the way. Oh, thank you. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> uh, we'll see you here and ready. You're listening to the Strong Towns Podcast. Hey everybody, this is Chuck Marone. Welcome back to the Strong Towns Podcast. This week I am really, really excited uh, to have on the show my friend and uh, new author, architect and original green, Steve Mozan. Steve, welcome to the Strong Towns Podcast. Thanks, Chuck. Good to be here. You just have uh, are releasing a new book uh, called New Media for Designers and Builders. Uh, this is a, you know, I, I think for people that don't know you, this might seem like a, uh, a, a big diversion from the original green and from your architecture work. Uh, but this really fits right in with everything you've been doing for quite a while now, doesn't it? Well, it completely does. And, you know, that, that was the biggest shock to me uh, when I first started uh, writing the book about two and a half years ago. I expected there to be no connection whatsoever between uh, this book and the original green. And then I came to, to discover just uh, just here recently, about a year ago, <clears throat> that the, uh, uh, the the principles, uh, and, and by that I mean the, the virtues and the ethics uh, that underlie uh, sustainable placemaking are exactly the same virtues and ethics uh, that, that underlie sustainable business making. You know, we, we talk about strong towns. Well, well this, this is uh, the creation of a str- a strong businesses for, you know, that, that, that actually can sustain themselves over time, uh, whereas all the stuff we've been doing for, for uh, all of our lives, actually, just doesn't work anymore. It, it, it's, uh, it, I mean, there's a strong corollary to, uh, to sprawl that, that recent conditions have made us realize that, wow, that stuff just flat doesn't work. Uh, you know, and, and the same thing with, uh, uh, with how you, you promote your business if you're a designer or builder. It, it just, uh, it, it, like I said, it just really shocked me that uh, there was that much of a correlation between the two. Well, talk to me about why you wrote this book. I mean, you, you're a prolific writer. You, you write a lot and you do a lot of media and a lot of communications. But what actually prompted you to sit down and put all this together in, in one really extensive and impressive collection? Well, you know, I've, I've been practicing this stuff for, uh, for quite a long time. As a matter of fact, we quit doing uh, any type of normal marketing about, oh, gee, uh, 10 years ago, uh, I guess it was. And, and so all of the business I've gotten over the years since then has all been by uh, doing the, these things that I've been kind of figuring out over time. Uh, it's pretty good stuff. Then the next thing I want to do is share it with everybody else. And, and, and so I'll finally get it figured out to a degree and, and then say, okay, time to... Uh, and so, so this was, in that regard, it's exactly what I've been doing for a long time. All right. Well, Steve, what prompted you to write this book? This seems like, uh, yeah, I know it's stuff you've been doing for quite a while, uh, but, but what made you sit down and actually put all this into this Im- impressive uh, collection? Well, uh, in general, Chuck, this is, this is what I tend to do. I tend to figure stuff out, you know, painstakingly over a, a long period of time, and then when I figure, I think that I finally got something figured out that's worthwhile, 
then I'll typically sit down and write a book about it. That's just sort of my modus operandi. What is your actual writing technique? I mean, are you doing this in small segments? Uh, do you have an outline when you start? I mean, how do you go about assembling something like this? You know, the funny thing is writing for me is kind of like driving at night. I'm sure you've all heard the the example of, you know, you don't see to the destination, but you see it uh, to the end of the headlights, and then you drive there, and then you can see further. And so at the beginning, I, I never even bothered with an outline uh, because I have no clue at the beginning what the book's going to end up like. I just start writing on pieces that I can see, uh, trusting that I can string it together later on. Why don't you talk about what you perceive as new media versus old media? How, how do you define that difference? Well, really, some of the media in the book are actually very old. And when I say new media, I mean this, this combination that is new. For example, you know, public speaking has been around for, for all of human history, pretty much. And, and email is just, uh, you know, it's been around for a couple of decades, and it's just uh, another version of, of snail mail. Uh, and so some of these things we've been doing for, for a very long time. But this particular combination is what has never existed before in human history, and that's what gives it so much power, is when you put all these things together, uh, properly. They really feed each other uh, in ways that just single nodes could not do. When you are putting a book together like this, it just one of the things that jumped out at me as I'm going through and reading it is that this is Steve Mozan. This is Original Green as applied to essentially marketing, the marketing profession. Is, is that a fair way to, uh, to talk about this book? Originally, I expected there to be no connection between the original green and, and uh, this book. Uh, I just didn't see it. And then about a year ago, it occurred to me that the, that the virtues and the ethics that underlie sustainable placemaking are precisely the same virtues and ethics uh, that, that underlie sustainable business making. And, and when you put it in those terms, why would it not be, you know? The, the big marketing budget versus the do-it-yourself when I read that and I saw that, I'm like, that. well, that's Steve. That makes sense. Can you talk a little bit about your experience with the big marketing budget and how that is different than the, the do-it-yourself model that you've kind of grown to use today? Well, you know, the, the old rule of thumb was that a design firm should spend roughly about 10% of the, the gross revenues of the firm on marketing. And, and that number <clears throat> was a pretty big number if you had a, a sizable firm back in 1999 or, or, or whatever. Of course, after the meltdown, then that, that money simply wasn't there anymore. And, and so that's part of the reason that the, the system is broken. But then the, um, uh, the other thing is that uh, today, most of, the, most of the new media nodes are either free or almost free. And so my rule of thumb is, is that 10% of the firm's time should now be spent uh, on the new media nodes uh, you know, because time is money, and and so I, I think that's a good rule of thumb. And when you realize that, it's actually not that it, it's no bigger of an investment than before, but it's one that we can afford now when, when we're more cash strapped than we used to be. It's, I remember back in the days, uh, you know, when I was running my own planning firm, and we were just a small little group, and you had all this pressure to essentially. Uh, project out into the marketplace with a, a marketing budget, and we just didn't have it. I mean, if if your profit margins were were fifteen percent, uh, you know, there was no way you were going to take uh, two thirds of that and spend it on marketing. It it seems to me like the new media opens up a lot of opportunities for maybe the good idea or the good practice that's being overlooked. Well, it, exactly, and and here's the thing: the uh, 
the real core, the, the essence of, of, of what uh, this means, the new media way of marketing, is that instead of pushing out, you know, like a broadcast or a, or a you know, a, a, a an e-blast uh, or something like that, that that tries to push your idea out on, or you know, push your your pitch out on the market. Instead, you're drawing in because what you're doing is you're putting up stuff that people will find useful and they'll come to you. You know, uh, they become fans as opposed to becoming clients. You know, or or, or prospects, and and so it's it's a pulling in. By the by, the value of your stuff that you're that you're putting up, as opposed to just simply throwing out a sales pitch that nobody wants to hear anyway. You have to be authentic. You can't be a phony for long and get away with it. You, you're not going to be able to put out the just superficial pitch and sustain that over the long term. Is is do you think that's true? And do you think that's a benefit of the the place we're at today? Oh, I, I think it totally is. As, as a matter of fact, I'm more excited about this big transition now. I, I would much rather be practicing now than any time in the last hundred years, quite frankly. And uh, I really think it's a great time. But uh, here's the problem. I call it the spam vaccination. Over the last decade or so, we've been so overwhelmed with spam. If you're talking about Strode's, you know, that, that makes a really interesting conversation. But if you're just simply saying, hire me, you know, forget it. That They're, they're not going to listen. And, and so... Right. Uh, it, 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 you know, it, it just is a, uh, it's a far more interesting proposition today than, than back when you were just trying to sell yourself. One of the things that I, I've always admired about you is your willingness to talk about things that other people maybe won't. In the original green, you have coined this term or, you know, used this term lovable. And for me, as an engineer, as a planner, I don't talk about places in terms of lovability, but all of a sudden, here's this Steve Muzan guy talking about lovable. One of the things that you bring up in this book is you talk about the virtues, old virtues versus new virtues. And I found that to be a really uh, unique kind of perspective that only someone like you would would bring into the mix. What are you talking about with old virtues and new virtues, and, and how are they different? And in your opinion, how are they in some ways, better. Well, you know, the for the last really 250 years since the beginning of the Industrial Revolution, the prime virtues of business have been better, faster, cheaper, uh, or or quality and, and uh, speed and and, uh, and economy, if you will. And the general rule of thumb was is that you had, uh, uh, you know, if if you were a good firm, you were a, an awesome firm at any given moment in a in a given market. You can't be better and faster and cheaper uh, and survive. I call it the age of the idea as opposed to the era of the company, which is now ending. Uh, I, I believe that the prime virtues of business, patient and, and generous uh, and connected all at the same time, uh, which, which is a better thing as well. So you don't have to give up anything. You can actually build three. When I was looking to self-publish, I came to you. And, and I came to you because not only had you, you know, self-published uh, already, but you were very generous with your time and, and with your uh, advice. Talk to me a little bit about the process of, of self-publishing a, a book like this. You know, you've gone the traditional route before. This, I think, is your second time, or, or maybe you've done more of uh, the self-publishing. How empowering is that for a person like you, who is kind of a fountain of ideas? Well, it, it, it's really awesome, because the, the first, what, uh, three books, I guess it was, that I did? Yeah, for, uh, the first three I did with McGraw-Hill, and... Uh, uh, was uh, it, it's been for almost a decade now. It's been in the top, 
But the the one I'm publishing this week, because it's an electronic book, not only does it save a bunch of trees, but there was no cost in that book until I got to the point of of hiring my editor to come down uh, for a couple of weeks and, and edit the book. And so so instead of having a huge uh, upfront cost uh, when you publish electronically, I'm going to try to do as much uh, electronic publishing as I can in, in the future. I, I'm going to embarrass you just for a second. <laughs> Pretty easy. <laughs> no, you're a modest guy. When I met you, you were speaking, I, I can't remember where, but I, I was blown away. I'm like, who's this guy with all this energy, uh, with all this great stuff, telling these this fantastic story? And you were talking about uh, the original Green, uh, and, and it was just very compelling. In getting to know some of the people who have known you longer than I have, I came to discover that you have not always been a good public speaker. In fact, what I was told, and you can argue with this, uh, but I was told that years ago you actually uh, struggled quite mightily with public speaking. I I would put you today on the list of some of the most compelling speakers I've ever heard. You talk about the need to speak in this book and the need to do public speaking. As someone who has made this transition what advice would you give to people who freak out at the notion of standing up in front of a group and speaking? Oh, I'll, I'll say this. I was absolutely terrified the first time I had to get up and speak in front of a group. And, and the only reason I was able to get up there at all and not, not just totally fall apart is uh, my wife Wanda told me uh, right before this, this thing, uh, she said, Steve, I've, I've heard that uh, great passion overcomes fear. And I said, well, you know, I have passion for what I'm talking about. And uh, maybe that might work, and, and sure enough, it did. Now, uh, passion, however, does not make you a great communicator uh, at the beginning. But if you have passion for what you're talking about, then then you will push through those early times and actually get better better at it over time. And, you know, here's another thing. People, people get stuck uh, as a 13-year-old in their own mind. Uh, so many people never get beyond that and don't realize that, that one of the great attributes of, of humans as opposed to uh, pretty much every every other life form uh, out there, you know, uh, it, it is that we can make substantive changes in who we are and, and uh, you know, literally uh, rewire our brains uh, doing things that, that we love to do that we weren't good at originally. And, and so, uh, you know, I, I wake up every morning thinking, you know, I can I can become something else. It, it it you know if you don't like who you are you're not stuck with that and uh, and a lot of people simply forget that. But uh, for someone that thinks well I can't do that well no you can't do that today. But uh, you know if you work at it uh, long enough you may get actually very good at it. In terms of public speaking, that trans that specific transition because that's one of the things that I have to say for me too. Uh, was a breakthrough. Like I can get up and, and talk in front of people. How does that add to what you do today in terms of the new media? Uh, you, you know, your capacity to explain a story through words. How important is that? Oh, it's, it's hugely important because keep in mind that, that, uh, what part of the process of what we're doing, uh, you know, instead of finding prospects, uh, we're finding advocates and even finding fans, if that doesn't sound too presumptuous. And and I've had, oh gee, I don't know, uh, many many people over the years that that uh, their first experience with me was uh, at, in an event I was speaking at, you know, and they would have never known me otherwise, or, or it might have taken years, uh, you know, if if they ever would have uh, uh, crossed my path. 
And and so it's it. As a matter of fact, that's part of my point in the book is that you can't just be on one or two nodes because someone might uh, never be there. For example, uh, at the CNU, Sarah Sasanka had some very nice. Uh, very kind things to say about my photography work, and that's how she discovered me, and even used some of her uh, some of my photographs in her presentation. And and it was, uh, you know, she might never be on Twitter. So if all I was doing was tweeting, she would have never discovered me. But because I have a uh, a photo store uh, on the on the internet, um, then uh, she found out about me there. And 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 uh, to have an advocate like that. Uh, you know, she has so many uh, people that are listening to her, and and uh, somebody like that when they start talking about you, that that becomes uh, that's a really good thing, and and so that's why you need to be on several different nodes, uh, you know, because not everybody else is on every node. You know, in the original green, you talk about experts, and you know, the, essentially how we need experts, but yet experts uh, when they get into a myopic view or a, a, a kind of silo tend to lose a little bit of their value. Uh, is, is this book and this effort intentional for you to, to reach out beyond? You, you're, you've reached far beyond architecture already, but is this you pushing yourself to reach even further? You know, I hadn't really thought of it exactly that way, but really that, that is kind of what it amounts to. And, and I will say this, I, I don't have some grand plan. A lot of people have uh you know they map out their lives uh when they're 21 or whatever and 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 they kind of follow the plan in my case i've i've discovered that some really interesting thing if you keep your eyes open and have an expectation that something interesting is out there then you may end up doing some things in a year or two or three or whatever that that would have never occurred to you today that you can't possibly plan for today you know, for example, one example is um, that immediately after uh, Katrina, and who who saw that coming? You know, I mean, right. uh, there was no way to predict that. But immediately after Katrina, because of the fact that uh, that we had our our uh, eyes and our ears open, then Paul come over and speak to us about how we need to rebuild Mississippi according to New Urbanist principles. Well, went over to Andres' uh, house the next day, uh, or his office, excuse me, and and uh, he said, well, that's to some plan of what we're going to be doing those days. You know, we never would have ventured almost 200 planners in one room. Uh, and, and I mean, that, that simply wouldn't what this day brings, and let's make the best of it, even though we don't know what that best is yet. You have four blogs. I, I didn't realize that, even though I've been on all four of them. <laughs> yeah. I, I didn't realize that you maintain four blogs. You have some tips for bloggers. Talk about the the process of actually kind of disciplining yourself to sit down and write out uh, your thoughts in a blog. Well, you know, here's the thing. Um, had I not started uh, the original Green blog uh, years ago, uh, the original Green had always been kind of this warm fuzzy in my mind, uh, you know, that I had this sense uh, of, of what real sustainability was, but had I not started to sit down, you know, and, and you can't, you can't just cough up warm fuzzy hairballs on, on, uh, you know, and, and, uh, have readers that will come back to you because that, that's, that's, um, you know, you have to put out stuff that is in some way, uh, thought out and, and, and makes sense. And, and so it was, it was literally the, ne- uh, the necessity of blogging. And I didn't do much in the, uh, at the beginning. It, a lot of times it, it would go months between uh, one post and the next, and uh, but it was a necessity of putting out something in a 
in a somewhat coherent form, trying to be uh, rational and compelling and inspiring, uh, all three. But the necessity of that was was actually what developed, what helped develop the ideas to the point that today I think it's a very robust set of ideas about uh, how we should be building our our places and our buildings. But uh, but without the blog, I don't know if I ever would have gotten to the point. I, I know I wouldn't have written the book, you know, uh, yeah. because actually the book, uh, it began with uh, the first half of the book nearly was uh, was a collection of blog posts. I mean, I st- those all started out with uh, uh, with blog posts. And, and uh, you know, so it, it just, it, it was, it was the, the blog was actually essential to the original green as we know it today. It's funny because I had the same experience where I sat down and I had all these ideas and thoughts kind of swimming around in my head. But until I sat down and started to kind of essentially force myself to work through them by writing them down, they, they didn't, they were, they were abstract concepts. They, they really weren't something concrete that I could explain to someone else coherently. The advice I always give to people is just write stuff down. I mean, if you, if you don't want to publish it on a blog, at least write it down somewhere, uh, because it forces you to think through things. Is that how your mind works as well? Oh, absolutely. As a matter of fact, it, it's going back to the, uh, driving at night, uh, analogy that literally when I start with the post, I don't know how it's going to end up. It's same here. You know? Yeah. And, and, uh, but, but the thing is, if you don't start with that first sentence, um, you know, you simply aren't going to do anything, and, and so you have to you have to start. Um, you know, and, and and then once you do, it can it can lead you in all sorts of interesting directions. It's like it's like uh, sketching, and it's unlike drawing in CAD. You see, because when you're sketching, you don't quite know where that the end of that line is going to be. You know, you're you're drawing it with your arm and your your fingers, and yeah. and, and and so that can. Uh, you know, it, it can go in some exploratory ways. Whereas if you draw a line in CAD, you have to say, start at this coordinate, end at this coordinate. And, and so there's no, there's no mystery there. There's no magic there. It just goes to where you told, uh, told it to go. But writing is more like drawing than it is, drawing by hand than it is drawing, uh, in CAD because, uh, because you don't know where that sentence in that paragraph is going. Not really until you, you know, until you really get into it. Well, your rule number seven is be concise. Uh, you said, you said, uh, you know, 700 to a thousand words is a good blog post. Uh, I went back and looked at my last 10 and I don't think I was below 1500 words on a single post. Um, well, and here's the problem, you know, the, the, uh, the expectation of the medium uh, has a great effect on how we approach each instance of the, of that medium. For example, back in the 1960s, uh, TV shows were regularly half an hour, and if something drug longer than that, it would it, it seemed like a, a movie or something. And whereas today, uh, shows are regularly an hour, and that's just what you expect. But but people have such an expectation of of uh, blog posts being, you know, even as short as 500 words that if they look at one, and you can kind of get a feel just in the first paragraph or, or, or so, you know, if if it's shaping up as a a really long one or not, and if it seems if it has that sense, and you scroll down. And, you know, it just keeps scrolling and scrolling. Then it's like, wow, even if I love this guy, I just don't have time to read this right now. You know, because you have the expectation that you can read it in, in three or four or five minutes. And if, it, if it's obvious it's going to suck more of your brain power out, then, uh, th- then you just don't. And so what I've done in the past is I've actually, if I had a set of ideas I wanted to talk about, 
like I did a whole series on walk appeal. I could have made that one long mammoth post and nobody would have read it. Uh, but because of the fact that it was, oh gee, what is it? Five posts, I think, something right. like that. Right. Uh, somewhere in that vicinity. It's gotten all sorts of, uh, of reads, you know, several thousand, but some of them have several thousand, uh, uh, hits on, on each one. And, and it's gotten a lot of good, uh, press as a result. As a matter of fact, when, uh, Kate Benfield was doing his best of 2012 or, or whatever it was that post at the end of the year. That was one of the things that he included was the idea of Walker Bill. And he probably would have never read the thing had it been a big, long mammoth post. And so uh, so think about breaking things up if you, if you can. And then also here's the other thing. Because you can't quite tell where writing will go. When you when you do that first one and there's some comments and, and some discussion, then that may actually change the character of what you do in the subsequent posts that are all part of that series. And and so it, it's a much better thing to get it out and let the conversation start rather than trying to, to, to cough it all up at once. You recommend that people speak with a human voice. What do you mean by that? Well, uh, actually imperfect. Um and and saying what you think, I make I make no attempt when I'm speaking to be to be really you know slick or smooth or whatever. I'll stumble over stuff. As a matter of fact, what I'm doing all the time because I promised myself years ago that I would never do the exact same lecture twice, you know, word for word, where you you know you just kind of drone drone on and you kind of put your brain on auto, autopilot. What I <clears throat> what I do instead is uh, every single time I'm speaking. Even if it's about material that I've talked about a lot of times before, I'm always trying to develop a better riff, and that means that on whatever it is, whether it's it's uh, uh, you know why is lovability more important than than beauty or, or whatever, just you know whatever the idea is. If you're up there in real time trying to develop a better riff as you're speaking, then you're going to stumble over some stuff, you yeah. know, uh, and it won't quite come out right. Uh, but because of the fact that you're working on it, you know, it's almost like jazz in that regard. It, you're improvising as you go along. It actually gets much better over time than if you would have just parroted the same thing again and again. And the the problem today, because of that spam vaccination, if anything sounds too perfect or too slick or, or too polished, then it will sound as if it's coming from the PR department. And, and they are the biggest persona non grata on, on planet Earth right now, I believe. Nobody wants to be sold to anymore. You know, if anything sounds like a sales pitch, you know, because of the spam vaccination, we just immediately shove it away. And and so it, it's just so important to sound like a real person and not too polished. Authenticity comes from figuring out stuff in, in real time as opposed to simply being repetitive. If you're repetitive, a machine could do that. Right. I, it's so true because I, I will, you know, I think early on uh, when I was out doing curbside chats, uh, I would try to stick to the script. And as it got, and it went on, I just started introducing new things. And, and there were a lot of times where I, I'd have, you know, a few new slides or a, a new concept I was trying to put in and it would take too long to get through and I would stumble over the words. And, and sometimes I would say, you know, that, that's just not going to work. And then other times I'd say, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying it right. Uh, I need to actually think this through. And, you know, it's, it's because I don't understand it clearly. Uh, that I'm not able to explain it. it you know, it, it, it seems like that, that human voice is something that I think people who don't blog and don't speak, they, they, uh, it, it, the, the idea that you have to be perfect when you do it is an obstacle people put in front of themselves. 
And it's just not oh, it, true. It's a terrible obstacle. And, and here's something that I'm just now realizing that I've never thought of it this way before because of what you just said, and that is that, that it, it's that combination of blogging and speaking. Uh, you know, when you're blogging, you actually are sitting down with what amounts to individual riffs, and, and you're, you're actually polishing them. You, you, are, you know, you're getting those uh, more coherently put together. And I think that those are kind of maybe the atomic particles, if you will, uh, or, or whatever another analogy would be, that, that you actually are, uh, you know, because you've developed things to a, a higher degree of, of uh, sophistication in the blog, then I think you can take some of those things and, and put them together in, in creative ways as you speak. Uh, whereas if you didn't have the blog, then maybe trying to just, if all you did was speak, then I don't think you could be so creative with it. I think you maybe would need to be scripted, maybe. But the two of those work together in a way that actually makes, each one makes the other better. I think being a, uh, a speaker makes your blog better and being a, a blogger makes your speaking better. I have people ask me, you know, how do you come up with so many things to, to blog about? How do you, how do you have so many, so much material? And for me, it, it is that exact process. The more I talk, the, the more, <laughs> the more I find I need to explore different ideas. And the more I explore those ideas, the more I find I have to talk about. Is, is that the process that you go through? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's like, uh, one idea will, but you know, there was actually, I was having a, a Twitter debate, uh, with Hazel Boris, my other sister, yeah. uh, when, when I was, uh, out of the country a couple of years ago. <clears throat> and that, that Twitter debate, uh, actually turned, you know, there, there was, she just was, you know, I had an idea and she just wasn't buying it. I mean, she would, she, she was completely. That's what, that's what uh, siblings are, are for, right? <laughs> that's exactly right. <laughs> and, uh, uh, but that debate ended up, uh, resulting in, oh, I don't know, uh, 12, 14 blog posts, uh, in, in the time since then. And, and I keep, you know, here's the thing. When, when you go down one rabbit hole, then you find, uh, some other one. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's branching out from it that you wouldn't, uh, you wouldn't know if you hadn't gone down the first one. Yeah. I, I'm just going to say it, it's, it's the, uh, the adjacent things that you, that you find once you get into something. That that's where some really interesting things can can arise that that you would not have seen from up on the surface. Well, I find too that the steel on steel a little bit when people push back, uh, it actually helps me. I mean, it actually uh, you know as long as they're respectful and not just dogmatic, you know. But when people have had thoughtful critiques and criticisms of of things that I've written or spoken about, that's been the real learning moments for me. Yeah, and you know that's one thing that I that I really. I uh, wish I had more of, and that is, in, in my entire time speaking, and I, I don't know, uh, it's it's been, oh gee, I've I've totally lost count. Probably two or three hundred times I've spoken, something like that, and maybe more. And in all of those times, I've never had a heckler. You know, uh, we all need hecklers <laughs> uh, every now and then. And, and matter of fact, I, I'll make you a deal. Uh, next time you speak, I'll heckle you if you'll do the same for me. How about? Uh, thanks, man. Uh, I, I can't say the same thing. I have had – I started out speaking here in my hometown, uh, you know, r- rotary clubs and uh, and different things. And uh, it kind of grew in concentric circles out from there. And, you know, you're never a prophet in your own hometown. So I was like, who, isn't this the drummer from the high school band? Like, who, what the, what the heck does this guy have anything to say? And yeah, I mean, they were just vicious here. Uh, it took me getting out of that kind of, uh, uh, maelstrom in order to, uh, to, to reach some people who are interested in the message. 
but I will heckle you next time. That's no problem. I'll, I'll sit you. in the front row and <laughs> as a, as an act of brotherly love, I will heckle you. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. Matter of fact, now that you mentioned that, that the prophet is not without honor, saving his own country, uh, thing that, that it just occurred to me that almost all of, of, uh, of my speaking actually, I mean, all but literally two or three, uh, engagements actually occurred, uh, after I left my hometown and moved to Miami. So maybe, <laughs> yeah. maybe that's the, maybe that's the ticket is move somewhere else if you want to speak. Yeah. I don't know. Not, Actually, don't do that. that. That's that's too high of a threshold. Uh, the biggest thing is is to have the passion to begin with, and and then other things work out over time. Well, I I do think that engaging people outside of your own echo chamber, you know, your own choir, uh, is one way to really test your ideas and also get really good critical feedback. I mean, you know, because you've been in these situations where. Uh, you you get a group of people who all are kind of thinking one way, and the person challenging that is not really free to express their ideas as as grand as they might be. There is something liberating about getting outside of that uh, that bubble, and I, I guess so, you know social media is one way. I think that without having to move, you can actually do that. Well, and I will say this: that uh, back to speaking in in particular, and that is that just a huge proportion of of uh, the the good ideas that I end up with either were a result of, of someone's question in the audience uh, or something that just occurred to me kind of in the flow of the you know of the speaking and and so but here's here's the uh, the important thing about that and that is that if I didn't have the expectation that that would happen you know then I might not even pick up on it so if, if you're expecting something good to happen uh, from sources that you can't predict yeah. But if if you if if you have that you know that thought in the back of your mind that, that something good could happen here, then um, then your eyes will be open and you'll actually see them. Whereas otherwise, you you just glaze right over it and and, uh, and miss it entirely. Right, right. Uh, one last thing from this tips for bloggers. You say be sociable, and I, I want to bring this up because you know you, you mentioned specifically Cade Benfield as someone who uh, linked to your work and gave it uh, highlights, he, he did the same to me, and I can't thank Kate enough for his generosity. Um, but you do this now too. I mean, not only are you social in terms of like linking to other people's work, but you, uh, I'll call it pay it forward a little bit too. I mean, I, I've seen you uh, recognize work and, and link to things that are from upstart and non-traditional sources. Talk about the, the need to for some link love, but then also talk about your own personal beliefs regarding what I think is a, a kind of kindness and generosity you have uh, to kind of sharing this amongst people who maybe don't have as big a stage as you do right now. Well, you know, one thing that I just uh, noticed the other day, and, and it was a... Uh, a, a colleague that that we both love and respect, or I, I'm sure you do, and a really great guy. And I won't say anything else in particular, but but in a book that he uh, wrote uh, at some point in the past, I noticed. I said, you know, everybody in the book that he is that he has listed in the index, you know, that he talked about somewhere in the book, is someone that is older than him or has been doing this for longer than him. <clears throat> in other words, it's all. A, a linking up. There's no linking down to anyone that was that was younger or newer at it. 
than him. And, and then I realize that that's the normal thing. That's what people do is they, they talk about all the giants and, and all the great ones, some alive and some dead, and, and uh, that they're all, um, uh, they're all ahead of them. You know, <clears throat> and, and I said, you know, I'm going to try in this book to, as much as possible, to, if, if, if I have to, to go one way or the other, I, I'm going to find someone that is younger than me or newer than me at this, because what do I, how much, now I, I did talk about Andres and Liz in the book and, and, uh, and linked to them, right? but how much is, how much am I going to help them? You know, it's not very much, right. but how much would I help someone who is more obscure by talking about them in the book? It might make all the difference. You know, yeah. and and so I think that the movement at large, also, if if you're helping those that are younger than you or newer than you, then I think that the movement at, at large actually grows faster and and more robustly than if you're just linking to the to the ones that may be, you know, if if not at the end of career, at least they're at, at a more comfortable uh, stage. And and so, at this point, that that's a, you know, that that's a real uh, goal and objective of mine is to to. To try to uh, to build those younger ones and the newer ones, uh, because I think that you just accomplish more good when you do that. Tell me how people can get a copy of this book. Well, right now I'm I'm, I'm sitting here nervously. I pressed the uh, the publish button uh, <laughs> on the uh, the iBookstore uh, two days ago. It was noontime uh, on Monday when I when I pressed the button. So I'm nervously sitting here waiting for the light to turn from red to green on the uh, on the iBookstore where I can actually put a link up. But if you for right now, what I'm going to do, if if I don't, uh, if it doesn't go live by Friday, then on the book's companion website, and actually, let me let me quickly tell you uh, about that uh, just real briefly. Yeah. <clears throat> you know, because it's an electronic book, I said, well, what if what if I built this companion site where I put the stuff that only some of the people need to know? You know, if I put everything in the book that's on the site and elsewhere on the internet, it would have been like a 600-page book. Right, right now, it's a little under 200, right. uh, and there's a lot of pictures in it, so it's more like 100 pages of reading. The other thing about the site is that that every section in the uh, has a link to a corresponding page on the site where where there's a comments module and people can have uh, discussions about it. You know, like you would on a blog post. So it 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 really is is uh, it, it's going to be a lot more social, I think. As a result of that, rather than just being a book that you you know that nobody sees your notes if you make them in the book, but if you make them on the site, then they do. But anyhow, on the site, which is uh, because the book is uh, new media for designers and builders, that's a that's a long domain name. So <laughs> I, I did something that I hated to do, uh, and that is make it obscure. But it is www.nm and then the number four db.com is new media for the number you know uh, yep, db.com yep, yep. uh, and if if people go there uh on friday i'll either have the live links to uh to to uh, the iBookstore and i'm also f- uh, furiously working on a uh, a kindle version uh, right now into that one as well or if either or both aren't live yet then they can buy a book on the you know just using paypal directly from me and then when the book does go live then I'll, I'll give them a uh, coupon code where they can go to the uh, Apple Bookstore and, and get a free one, and then that keeps them in line for all future versions of the book. Because every time I revise, then just like an app that gets updated, then the book gets updated too, so you'll always have the latest version. For our listeners that are in a profession where they need to communicate, which is essentially everybody, <laughs> you know, we're, right. we're, we're all in this uh, new media environment. 
uh, or if you just want to understand, you know, what, what is going on and what are people doing? What's that next step, uh, in the, the marketing, advertising, uh, communications world? Uh, this is a fantastic book. You, you, you've done a tremendous job putting this together. Uh, we'll have the links on our website at strongtowns.org. Just click on this podcast and uh, we'll have the links there to everything so you can get a copy of this book. Steve, I, I love talking to you. Uh, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us. Delighted and, and sure great to talk to you as well, Chuck. Thank you. Thank you so much. You take care and uh, keep doing what you can to build Strong Towns. Uh, absolutely. They know that America's one big pothole right now. Chuck Marone, this has been fascinating. The United Nations Earth Summit. Agenda 21. Yeah. Matter of fact, I'll make you a deal. Uh, next time you speak, I'll heckle you if you'll do the same for me. How about? Uh, thanks, man. But as, as any middle-class family will tell you, we are not... I hear you. I got you. No, 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 this is fine. Wait, 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 wait. We're okay. We're okay. That's okay. Hold on, hold on a second. Hold on, hold on. Hello, everybody. Hello. Hey, hey, hey. Hold on. Hold on a minute. Hold on a minute, sir. Hold on. You know, hold on a second. Can I, can I just say that, that as hecklers go, that young lady was very polite. She was. And, you know, she brought up a, an issue of importance, and that's part of what America's all about.